Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last week, the Minister of State for Child Care completely failed to acknowledge, much less justify, her Cabinet's disastrous decision to impact private child care providers in British Columbia. Sandra Christian of Creative Kids Learning Centres runs infant and toddler programs, full-day childcare camps, and extended preschool programs at eight locations in Surrey, Langley, and Chilliwack. She says, and I quote, the provincial government has taken a drastic leap of logic, arriving at the conclusion that the only way is an enlarged government bureaucracy and a diminished role for private operators like me. Small businesses that survived the pandemic now find themselves threatened by government policies that are slowly squeezing out the private childcare sector." End quote. Can the minister stand up, try again today, and explain to Sandra why she is threatening the viability of the small businesses that a thousand parents rely on? Minister of State for Childcare. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker, and I thank the member opposite for the question, but, and I always want to emphasize the importance of all childcare providers in this province, whether they are nonprofit, for-profit, indigenous, local government, school district-run childcare, all childcare providers contribute to the childcare sector and support the important services that family count on. And since 2018 budget, our government has been putting childcare as the top priority for the first time in BCC Street. We've invested significant funding to the very diverse sector supporting all providers. And what the member opposite is saying is simply not true. Let me be clear. For-profit providers will continue to receive operating grant, fee reductions, wage enhancement, and also funding to support and maintain their services. No childcare is under threat. What we're doing, really, is to learn what we've learned from the past uh, four years, is that families want childcare that can become long-term community assets, and we have so much strong interest from local government, from school district, from indigenous communities that wants to partner with us, and that is what we're doing, while the other opposition voted against our child care plan and our budget every single step of the way. Oh. Leader of the official opposition, well, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It is absolutely impossible to reconcile what this minister just said uh, to the briefing note and the decision note that she signed off on. What she said is simply not accurate, and she knows it. The very candid briefing note, that uh, decision note that this minister signed off on lays out a much less positive picture. In fact, it states clearly, and these are her ministry officials, that public sector childcare space growth slowed over the last three years, contrary well, the minister can shake her head all she wants. She may want to open up her briefing binder and check out the decision note and look at the paragraph that shows the graphs and the details. She might want to, to do that. Half the childcare spaces in British Columbia are run by private uh, providers and largely women entrepreneurs with small independent businesses. 
Sandra, in fact, was recognized with the 2021 Surrey Women in Business Award, but instead of celebrating women entrepreneurs like Sandra, apparently this minister wants to impact the very significant childcare uh, facilities that Sandra operates. Here's what Sandra says, and I quote, I am a woman in the workforce, a woman entrepreneur, and a mother of two. Creative kids and early childhood education are my life's work. This is all I know. Having borne the weight of childcare for the past 25 years, we are scared that our businesses will be taken over, shut down, dissolved, and even worse, forgotten." End quote. So can the minister stand up and explain to Sandra how she signed off on a decision note that has potentially devastating impacts on small business owners like Sandra and thousands of families across this province who rely on childcare spaces provided by private childcare operators. Minister. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. Again, I want to recognize all the work of early childhood educators and also all providers, whether they're nonprofit, for-profit, Indigenous local government, family provider in home OTH. We want to partner with them, and we have been partnering with them, and we will continue to support them through operating fund, funding to maintain their spaces, fee reduction program, early childhood educator wage enhancement, and dozens of new initiatives that our government has funded since 2018. <laughs> to say, for example, our fee reduction program that currently has over 93% of providers joining our program, including for-profit provider, is a huge success of how our childcare investment has benefited the sector. And the fact that the opposition member is waiving this decision note that was actually shared in the Canada-wide agreement in the summer when the Premier and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau both saying that publicly that we are going to prioritize funding into public non-profit spaces. This is not a secret. This decision was shared widely. Members the come to order. The news at the time as we are negotiating the first child care, national child care plan started by This decision has been publicly shared. It was shared in our guidelines. It's Members. on Thank you. <laughs> Member for West Vancouver, Capilano. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to the Minister for her enthusiastic response. Um, the Minister can't pretend otherwise. <laughs> Misguided enthusiasm. The Minister can pretend otherwise. But the FOI documents are crystal clear that this NDP government doesn't support private child care and are making them unviable. Tammy Rayburn of Wiggles and Giggles Group Daycare in Fort St. John read this decision note that the minister has the minister's signature on it. And this is what Tammy says. This is what Tammy says. This is not my words. This is Tammy. This is extremely disappointing. 
We, like many others, have invested our livelihood into supporting families with childcare, and it's clear the NDP don't care about that." End quote. So will the minister tell Tammy why she is threatening to shut down the 89 childcare spaces that families in Fort St. John rely on? Minister of State for Child Care. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And again, our government has been partnering with the very diverse sector. We have increased funding significantly and not cutting any funding. This is a historical time in our province that we are working with the federal government on a national child care plan. We're working with local governments, school districts, indigenous communities to look at how can we utilize current public existing spaces to create good quality childcare that will become long-term community assets. And we are continuing to partner with family providers through our startup funding that will continue to create many, many spaces with small business people. We are continuing this work while the other side of the house continue to create confusion and fear that's unnecessary to this sector that has been struggling for years under their watch when they were in government for 16 years with a lack of support. And just Thank to you. give the member an example, while they are criticizing and talking about childcare, which is a nice surprise after their years of neglect. Thank you. Thank you, Member. Even in the opposition critics writing along, we've invested close to $20 million Thank you, Mr. Member for West. Member for West Vancouver Capilano. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, well, the more accurate picture is that this NDP government promised to deliver 22,000 childcare spaces by year three. Oh. But a court, but promised, promised to, but according to their own briefing note, only 3,401 are operational oh. after three years. Three point seven percent of those have been opened by private providers. So I have repeatedly, Mr. Speaker, I have repeatedly asked this minister about the NDP policies that make private spaces unviable. Uh, this spring, uh, Surrey child care provider said, quote, as a result of this sudden change, we feel helpless and face economic ruin as we watch our life savings disappear because of our dream to develop a child care centre with over 100 new spaces has now turned into a nightmare. This was in response to the uh, fee reduction initiatives that the Minister said has been so successful. The FOI documents make it clear that this nightmare for this private childcare divider is a deliberate NDP policy. So will this minister sign a decision note to demolish, or why is this minister signing a decision note to demolish the 60,000 spaces that families in BC rely on? Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. It is just really interesting to hear the opposition throwing numbers that's untrue and creating unnecessary fear for the childcare sector. And, and let me correct the member. 
members will come to order Nothing now. Like the members' numbers. This is the fastest space creation BC has ever had since 2018. We have funded and supported the creation of over 26,000 spaces. Members. More than double, more than double of what they've created in 16 years. This is the fastest ever. And when the member opposite loves to talk about gender equity, let me tell the member opposite what is supporting childcare and gender equity. When we are funding spaces, when we're investing in childcare and investing in families, members be quiet, please. Equity, supporting women across the sector when the other side of the house cut childcare services, Thank cut you. fees, and eliminated a lot of early childhood education for many years. Thank you. Members, let's listen to the questions and also to answer, please. We only have 30 minutes. Member for Sandwich North End Islands. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This BCNDP government knew of the fierce opposition to the coastal gas link pipeline. The blockades caused by this pipeline have shut down highways, ferries, railroads, and this legislature. It was no surprise. The Premier's Chief of Staff acknowledged it and told me personally that this, such, this shutdown or this situation would be resolved. Wet'suwet'en and Gitsan people are being violently arrested by fully armed RCMP. Two journalists arrested last week sat in jail all weekend. So much for the freedom of the press. Two members of this House, from Stikeen and Oak Bay Gordon Head, were previously on the payroll, the provincial payroll, paid to sort this out. They failed. When they got elected here, what was the reward of that failure? They became ministers. Our Minister of Public Safety has consistently hidden behind the court injunctions and police enforcement. The court's message is, has been clear this summer. Get them out from the middle of these political conflicts. My question, Mr. Speaker, is to the Minister of Public Safety, the Solicitor General, the Deputy Premier. His government knew the conflict was brewing in the Wet'suwet'en when they approved LNG Canada. Their chief of staff stated it would be taken care of. When will his government take responsibility for the policy decisions that have led us to this armed conflict on the Coastal Gas Link project? Minister of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. And I'd also like to thank the member for Saanich North and the Islands. It's true, this has been a very difficult conflict. And it's true as well that there has been tension and division within the Wet'suwet'en Nation. Our government is committed to sorting this out, in the words of the member, through negotiations with the federal government and the Wet'suwet'en Nation. We've been struggling to do so in the face of disunity. There has been, it's no secret, conflict between the elected and the hereditary system. But we continue to do this historic work. For the first time in history, Mr. Speaker, we are trying to figure out on the land what Aboriginal title means in negotiation. In other cases, the courts have told us what it means in the Chilcotin case. In the, in the Delgamuk case, we know that there is such a thing, but no court has ever told us in that Yenta, the territory of the Wet'suwet'en, just what it means. And so, Mr. Speaker, we are doing the hard work that that requires. I have met 
with uh, Chief Wass, the hereditary uh, Gitwin Den clan leader, on many occasions and spoken with him. We have retained Mr. Miles Richardson, a highly respected Indigenous leader and former president of the Council of the Haida Nation, to serve as an interlocutor, to get the conversations going so we can get on with this work. And Mr. Speaker, it will be done when unity can be achieved. It will be done when the federal provincial government and the Wet'suwet'en Nation come together to do this historic work and complete the, the work that has been started only in the last two or three years. Member for Sanitary North and Island Supplemental. If this is sorting it out, Mr. Uh, Speaker, then we are a long way away from the reconciliation that this government has promised Indigenous nations. Disunity, conflict between hereditary and elected chiefs, they have been sowing the seeds of this disunity. We've been witnessing it all summer here on southern Vancouver Island, figuring out title. The Premier stands up and talks about Indigenous title like it was figured out. It is completely unacceptable, the answer, the response from that minister. He has spent long enough as a lawyer in this province and this country to know far better than to stand up and say that. This government promised a new relationship with Indigenous people, but instead they're acting in bad faith, intentionally deceiving British Columbians by exploiting divisions in Member. our communities created Member. by the Indian Act. Member, withdraw that, please. Nobody is intentionally deceiving anybody. Withdraw, withdraw that. All right, I withdraw. Continue. Members, please keep your comments to yourself. This Let the chair do its work. Member will continue. This government has been exploiting divisions in our communities created by the Indian Act, and they know it. This government soaks in the accolades of passing the Declaration Act, but then are unwilling to change the racist government structures that has created the conflict that we face today. Instead of the much-assured reconciliation what we have from this BCNDP government is more of the same divide-and-conquer tactics, gift-wrapped in meaningless political rhetoric, and empty promises. Some of the members might be feeling offended by these sharp and direct comments, Mr. Speaker. However, they are, they're, what they are feeling is nothing like what my relatives felt in residential and day schools languishing in the child welfare system and watching their unceded territory devastated by this Crown government. Mr. Speaker, my question is to the Minister of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation. Those, these relationships are his responsibility, and he suggested last week it was months since he talked to the people up there. In the last month, what specific actions has this minister taken to address the long-standing conflict over the coastal gas link pipeline in the Wet'suwet'en Territory? Minister. And thank you, uh, Member. I, I find the harsh rhetoric absolutely unhelpful in this important historic work. To talk about bad faith, Mr. Speaker, to suggest that we have done nothing, I have spoken with uh, Chief Wass on several occasions. I have talked to my federal counterpart. I have engaged Miles Richardson. I have been in the territory to meet the elected and the hereditary leaders in early September. I continue to work with a non-Indigenous group of people in the community who are likewise committed to getting on with this historic work. We have provided $7.22 million to get the unity work done, which the Wet'suwet'en Nation itself acknowledges is critically required. We have provided $1.23 million 
to create a, a, a seat of government for the hereditary uh, nation, the, hereditary, the Watsowitan nation at Lake Kathleen School near Smithers. Mr. Speaker, to suggest that we have been idle is, seems to me a, a, a great, uh, greatly deceives this House. Mr. Speaker, I reject that this government is in, responsible for Minister. sowing the seeds of disunity when everything we have done is to try to achieve that unity. Minister, Minister, please withdraw that. Withdraw what words you used. I'm sorry, Mr. Deceiving you, the words you used. Withdraw that. Ah, I apologize for that, sir. But I also reject that there's any bad faith on the part of the government. But I withdraw that word. Okay, members, he withdrew. Member for Kamloops, South Thompson. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Uh, in light of last week's uh, uh, floods, uh, there is a, uh, a significant amount of major repair work that uh, needs to be done, uh, a lot of which is underway on our roads and, and highways uh, around the province of British Columbia. This work needs to be done quickly, and it needs to be done as cost-effectively as possible for uh, British Columbia's taxpayers. So my question to the Minister of Transportation is this. Can he confirm whether or not the NDP will impose their discriminatory union-only labour scheme on these major highway repair projects? Minister of Transportation. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question, because he's quite right. Every member of this House uh, the priority of this House in its entirety should be the rebuilding of communities that sustained damage in the worst flood we've ever had in over a century. And the calls that we are getting, the coordination we are doing as a government uh, from contractors, union, non-union, what have you, to get to work rebuilding British Columbia, the enthusiasm and the support they have is nothing short of inspirational and overwhelming, Mr. Speaker. So, what our job to do is, as a government is to procure things as quickly as possible, get roads in working condition. That's what we've done for the past week. That's what people have done around the clock in horrible weather, under very difficult circumstances and conditions, sacrificing themselves uh, so that other British Columbians who are stranded can get home. And that's what happened last week. So we will work quickly on a procurement model that works to restore British Columbia's supply lines. That's what we're doing. We have a bilateral table with the federal government uh, on exactly that. I've given an update to the province uh, just this morning about supply lines that may come back into functioning good order, including rail connection to the rest of Canada. That is our number one priority, Mr. Speaker, is fixing roads that have sustained heavy, heavy damage in the worst flood episode we have ever had in 100 years. Member for Cambridge, South Thompson, supplemental. Uh, well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, and certainly the official opposition uh, concurs. We, we all want to get uh, these highway projects uh, repaired and open as quickly as possible, safely, of course, uh, and as, as cost effectively as possible for taxpayers. 
Uh, that is why I, I, I've asked a very simple and straightforward question, and I'm looking for a yes or no answer to the Minister of Transportation. Will he commit here today that community benefit agreements or discriminatory uh, uh, union-only labour uh, requirements will not be attached to a single one of the projects to rebuild highways, roads and other damaged infrastructure in British Columbia? Minister. You know, Mr. Speaker, if I were being charitable, I'd be saying, you know, the time for that question isn't now. At a time when union, non-union, what have you, every contractor in the province of British Columbia wants to help rebuild this province, this member... This member goes to... Order! Order! Order. This member goes to that divisive place. Really, Mr. Speaker? Really? There will be, there will be billions of dollars to repair infrastructure Members. in British Columbia. There will be a partnership with the Government of Canada to do that. We will work with local governments. We will work with contractors. We will work with workers' organizations and the BC Road Builders Association that represents every aspect of the industry. And that's what we're working on right now, Mr. Speaker. Member for Fraser Nicola. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. At a time when people are literally watching their lives float away, they need to know their government is on their side. They shouldn't have to worry about accommodation. They shouldn't have to worry about navigating a maze of rules so they can afford to feed their families. Many of the families impacted are not wealthy. They're renting a hotel room at their own expenses, and it is out of their means. Russell Willey was evacuated with his family a week ago out of merit. Each day for three days, his wife went to the evacuation centre to get the reimbursement forms, unsuccessfully. When she went back to the centre, she was informed that we would not receive reimbursement for the previous four nights because we did not have our forms. As we are paying for our room and my wife's parents' room, this is quite a sum of money. First, no warning of the threat, then no support to deal with the aftermath, this falls completely at this government's feet. Can the minister commit today that people who have fallen between the cracks will get the support they need, not just for the first three days, but for as long as it takes to bring them home? Minister of Public Safety. Thank you, uh, Honourable, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I appreciate the, uh, the question uh, from the member. Uh, and I can fully uh, understand the angst and the anxiety that people who have been evacuated uh, would have in this situation and I think all of us want to do everything we can to make sure that they are fully supported. I can tell the member that there was an issue at the Kamloops uh, uh, Centre. Uh, it was not there at the uh, Kelowna uh, Centre. Uh, I can tell you I was contacted by the Mayor in Merritt and I told her that I would look into it right away, which we did. Uh, and I can tell her that those individuals that she is talking about and others impacted uh, were in fact and have been contacted. Uh, and may still, some may still be contacted, but I want to tell you that, uh, that they are contacted. Uh, I have already publicly announced uh, that those costs will be covered uh, and that, uh, that uh, going forward, uh, I also expect to have additional announcements on the supports that they will be receiving 
um, in, the, uh, in the weeks uh, and in some cases months ahead. Member for Abbotsford West. Uh, thanks, Mr. Speaker. Uh, fires, heat waves, uh, now flooding. In each case, what we have heard from the government is uh, an attempt to excuse their slow response and lack of warning uh, on the basis that the events were uh, unprecedented and couldn't be predicted. But in the case of the, the Nooksack River, the same thing happened only 20 years ago. Uh, ironically, when certain members of uh, the government were either members of the, the government at the time or senior advisors to the government. There have been a whole host of studies from the Auditor General, from the Ministry of the Environment uh, just uh, last year, Fraser Basin Council, and still, Mr. Speaker, the government seemed to be caught off guard by the torrent of water that flowed north from the Nooksack River, and as a result, failed to give the same warning to people on Sumas Prairie that folks on the other side of the border received. There's another, we're told, there's another atmospheric river on the way uh, at a time when the dikes are already weakened and compromised. What changes have been made? What assurance do the people in that part of British Columbia have that there is a proper protocol in place, that there are proper liaison uh, in place with officials in Washington State so that the people, the farmers on Sumas Prairie can be assured that if the same thing happens again and the Nooksack turns north, they will receive the same warning that they didn't get, the same warning that people in the U.S. received and they didn't get last week. Minister of Public Safety. Thank you, uh, Honourable uh, Speaker, and I thank the, uh, the member for, uh, for that question. Um, and there were a number of points in there that I will try and address. Um, then the issue of the, the Nooksack River, that is a joint regional issue, uh, to be sure. Uh, it is a complicated issue. Uh, the member mentions 20 years ago. Um, 20 years ago, and they sat on this side of the house, and I don't make that, I'm not making that comment in an aspersive remark but rather to, to, to illustrate there is no simple solution in terms of the Nooksack River. If there was, I expect that that would have been in place by now. It is a very complex situation involving all kinds of issues around drainage and where communities are, 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 are located. What I can tell the member is, is that when the Premier met recently with Governor Inslee, uh, there was a recognition that we need to find a way to deal with some of these particular issues. Uh, I have mentioned this with uh, Minister Blair at the federal level as well, because I expect that we're going to have to have the involvement of the federal government along with the U.S. federal government as well in dealing with some of these cross-border challenges when they come to climate. Uh, very quickly, in terms of the issue around the, the atmospheric uh, river, a term which I think is new to most of us in this House, um, the federal government, and when I spoke with Minister Blair, has indicated that uh, work is underway in Environment Canada in terms of putting in place a ranking system similar to what they have uh, in the U.S. that will allow us as a government to, at the, pro at the provincial level and the local level, to have a better understanding of the nature uh, and the strength of these atmospheric rivers, which will allow us to be 
much better prepared in what needs to be done. And I will give just a quick example. Uh, the one that was looked at prior to the house over the weekend was the one coming over the north coast where they were talking about, and they just said atmospheric river, I was briefed on, and that we were looking at potentially two to 300 millimeters of rain, a significant amount. Over the weekend, that changed to where today it is 50 to 70. I think that illustrates some of the, the variability that occurs in the weather, but a ranking system will help significantly, and I appreciate the question from the member. The bell ends the question period.